Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Two good martinis, one crazy martini, but the best martini of the day is the Jim Garrity is back. Uh, as you all know, if you were with us yesterday, he is finally facing COVID, but uh, is on the mend. Jim, how are you today? I'm okay. Uh, listeners may notice that I am not as not as uh, verbose as I usually am, but I am alive. I am well. I'm just having usual symptoms of a cold. They come and go, and I'm supposed to self-isolate for a few more days. So COVID-19 comes for us all. Omicron's going to get you sooner or later, and then finally my number came up, it seems. Well, I hope you keep track of how many times you watch Die Hard over the next week, because I'm curious to know that number or any iteration of Die Hard. Anyway, let's get to our uh, let's get to our first official good martini. And Jim, uh, longtime listeners to the podcast will also know uh, when evil people get wiped out, that is always always going to be a uh, a good martini on this podcast. And so today it's Abu Ibrahim al-Hashimi al-Karashi, who is the head of ISIS. There was a U.S. Special Forces raid in Syria. Uh, the White House confirming it. President Biden with a statement this morning. And here is a piece of that. Our forces carried out the operation with their signature preparation and precision. And I directed the Department of Defense to take every precaution possible to minimize civilian casualties. Knowing that this terrorist had chosen to surround himself with families, including children, we made a choice to pursue a special forces raid at a much greater risk than our, to our own people, rather than targeting him with an airstrike. We made this choice to minimize civilian casualties. Our team is still compiling the report, but we do know that as our troops approached to capture the terrorist, in a final act of desperate cowardness, he, with no regard to the lives of his own family or others in the building, he chose to blow himself up, not just to the vest, but to blow up that third floor, rather than face justice for the crimes he has committed, taking several members of his family with him, just as his predecessor did. I'm grateful for the immense courage and skill and determination of our U.S. forces, who skillfully executed this incredibly challenging mission. So, Jim, obviously the big good news is is that uh, al-Karashi is dead. Uh, anytime we can decimate ISIS more and more, destabilize them, uh, throw them into confusion, that's great. Awesome job by our special forces. Uh, there is a question in my mind about how much we should put our own people at risk to save even even civilians at that point. But uh, fortunately, uh, it looks like our guys were not harmed and the civilians were only harmed because of the cowardice of the terrorist himself. Indeed, Greg. I think that uh, any day the headline is ISIS leader killed, it is a good one. That's why it's the good martini today. I do think it's safe to say that Americans have not been thinking about ISIS all that much. Uh, probably haven't been thinking about ISIS much since al-Baghdadi was killed during the closing uh, years of the Trump era. Uh, the first sign that Abu Ibrahim al-Hashimi al-Karyashi is not quite the leader or figure that al-Baghdadi is, is that my guess is before yesterday, most Americans had never heard of Abu Ibrahim al-Hashimi al-Karyashi. You think for ISIS, this is basically like moving from Joe Gibbs to Richie Pettibone back in the 1990s uh, the, with the Washington Redskins. You, know, you have this, <laughs> this legendary leader, and then the next guy who steps in just can't quite do the same job. In fact, I was kind of surprised, apparently al-Karyashi... Um, really did not issue many 
big statements or video things or any of the kind of the Bin Laden playbook we're used to seeing here. I was kind of struck by this account in the Associated Press report, Greg, that said, quote, U.S. officials said Al-Karashi never left his third floor apartment where he lived with his family except to bathe on the building's roof. Greg, I think we got to hand it to him. His, his quarantine game is fantastic. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah, well, you know, I was going to say, it doesn't do that good. Yeah, he, um, he's still got a skin condition from uh, the explosives. Um, communicated only through couriers, directly overseeing the group's operations in Syria, including last month's assault and an attack on the prison. I mean, all in all, look, we don't worry about ISIS as much as we used to, and this is a good sign that we will probably not have to worry about ISIS. Um, still a lot of dangerous forces in this world, still a lot of terrorists in this world. But the world is a slightly safer place because of this, and our thanks go to the forces who carried out this strike and eliminated the threat. Absolutely right. Now, Jim, you mentioned uh, the transition from Joe Gibbs to Richie Pettibone for the Washington Redskins in the early 90s, which did not go well uh, for the franchise. And really, nothing has gone well for them since then, uh, with the uh, very brief meteoric rise of RG3 and then uh, he blew out his knee, and that was that. Uh, but now they're the Washington Commanders, Jim. Some call them the Commandos. Some call them the Commies, which, uh, you know, a lot of Commies in Washington. Uh, but uh, most people think it's a terrible decision. So uh, once again, Dan Snyder strikes uh, uh, marketing gold here. So uh, what do you make of the uh, just twisting and turning and flopping of our uh, local NFL franchise here? I thought I was going to be original, but apparently I've already seen people who intend to find a way to create a burgundy and gold version of the Cobra Commander outfit from the G.I. Joe cartoon of the 1980s. That that will be the commander. Or if not, they can get uh, Jonathan Frakes as the uh, special guest announcer or something and have Commander William Riker uh, be the commander who announces the introduction of the team. The same way that Pat Sajak used to introduce the Washington Capitals. Because we have some really odd celebrities in here in Washington. It's not, it's not the usual big Hollywood stars. We're not L.A. You get, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio's and all that. I suppose this is an inoffensive team. I'm sure some group is out there getting ready to protest that it's too militaristic or something like that. Never mind, of course, that the, the point of, of sports teams generally is to pick something that's tough and threatening and menacing that's going to strike fear in the opponent's hearts you know i'd say nobody wants to fight no one wants to play the sparrows but then we live in a world in which is it you know is it you see uh santa cruz that has the banana slugs yes right and if you're really trying to fight fear in terms of, in terms of the opponent's name wouldn't we all agree that the richmond spiders are actually the most frightening thing in the world <laughs> some would certainly some would certainly say that uh, yeah I've, I've enjoyed uh watching the public uh, tear this uh, limb from limb. I think my favorite reaction so far has been Washington Commanders sounds like the name you would give the Washington football team in a movie where you couldn't get the rights to use their actual name. Yeah, what was it? The the Keanu Reeves movie, which ironically was based on the 87 strike when they used scab players. Um, weren't they the Washington Sentinels? Yes, very and good. And in light of that, isn't Washington Sentinels actually a better name? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> to say nothing of having, you know, Gene Hackman is the coach who, you know, he seems like the kind of guy who would make a good coach. So. Yeah, he's, he's a good coach for high school basketball and uh, and, and scabs <laughs> for professional football. So yes. other people are upset that you can't get a lot of good chance out of a three-syllable mascot. But if that's the biggest problem the Redskins have, which I assure you it's not, we'll see how things go from here. But if the, uh, it was meant to... Uh, if, you, if you turn <laughs> Manders into one, you know, uh, if, yeah, so instead of, you take out the the. 
Hail to Commander. And they're gonna change the name anyway, but that's the you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm to save my voice and I've ended up singing on this podcast already. <laughs> We'll take a break, uh, sip that tea with lemon while I talk about all the phenomenal products that uh, anybody can get uh, for their bedroom when it comes to uh, dealing with COVID or just getting a great night's sleep any other time. And that's my pillow, fantastic pillows. Also fantastic sheets, the Giza Dream Sheets. There's nothing better than slipping into bed with soft, comfortable sheets at the end of a long day. And the first night you sleep on the Giza Dream Sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else. And right now you can get a phenomenal deal on these sheets, 60% off. But it's only for a limited time on the Giza Dream Sheets with a price as low as $39.99. But you're only going to get that deal if you use our promo code Martini at MyPillow.com. Now, these sheets are made with the world's best cotton. They're grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. The cotton is ultra soft and breathable. Uh, It's available in a variety of colors and sizes, machine washable, 60-day money-back guarantee, one-year limited warranty, and... I love this too, the fitted sheet with fully enclosed elastic hems with deep pockets so they actually stay on your mattress. What's not to love, especially with this price? Save 60% now with the Giza Dream Sheets flash sale. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104 to get the Giza Dream Sheets for as low as $39.99. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. These will be gone quickly. They'll be gone in a flash. So head to MyPillow.com, promo code Martini, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, on to yet another good martini. And this is courtesy of uh, folks in New York City who have decided, hey, you know what? I don't want our elections potentially decided by people who aren't even citizens of the country. You'll remember we talked, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks ago now about how the New York City Council decided to allow non-citizens to vote in local elections. Uh, The incoming mayor, Eric Adams, initially said he didn't like that. And then he ultimately caved and said, yeah, the council and I, we came to an understanding. There are a couple of things I wasn't uh, uh, hugely in favor of. But in the end, it wasn't worth a veto. So we're going to go forward with this. Two thumbs up from me. Well... Uh, we are now finding out that there's a lawsuit. Breitbart reporting that four black Americans and New York City residents named Phyllis Coachman, DeRoy Murdoch, who at least used to, I think maybe still does write for National Review, Catherine James and Anthony Gilheis have filed suit with the help of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. And if you follow election-related legal matters, uh, J. Christian Adams, I believe, is the head of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. Their lawsuit accuses the city's Board of Elections of violating the 15th Amendment, by imposing a, quote, racially discriminatory policy that is set to drastically dilute the voting power of American citizens in New York City and specifically of black Americans. Uh, The lawsuit states in part the New York City Council was aware of the discriminatory impact that the foreign citizen voting bill would have on the voting strength of black voters. These concerns were raised by council members. Despite this discriminatory impact and knowledge that the New York City Council was without legal authority to grant foreign citizens the right to vote, the council moved forward and passed the bill. So, Jim, I don't know 
uh, how this is going to work uh, in the legal system. Obviously, on a federal level, uh, they would win. But uh, local elections, they might have the ability to do this, despite how stupid it is. But uh, what do you make of at least the effort to give the, the, vo- the right to vote only to citizens? You know, Greg, there have been small localities that would allow 17-year-olds to vote in primary elections if they were going to be 18 by the election day. And we can argue about that. I think most people would say it's not going to have a very big effect on the election. But in this case, New York City is talking about one million foreign nationals having the right to vote. Um, And they've, you know, according to the numbers from the Public Interest Legal Foundation, you're talking about 488,000 Latinos or Hispanics and about 343,000 Asians. If you are a U.S. citizen of any color in New York City, you might say, hey, wait a second, why is my vote now counting for less? Because the city's decided these folks who are not you know, eligible to vote in U.S. federal elections, the city has decided, nope, they're swell. We want to give them the right to vote at all. And this is watering down the benefits of citizenship. This is watering down what it means to be a citizen. This is basically saying that if you want to have a say in how the city is run, all you have to do is show up. It does not matter if you are citizen, green card holder, or an illegal immigrant. doesn't matter. We're not going to draw any distinctions. All you need to have is residency. And that's very, uh, I, I think, is a, an extremely unpopular point. You've seen folks who are not usually hard right types, like <clears throat> the bulwark, make this argument. Um, I'm glad to see this lawsuit. Work for it. If nothing else... It should be uh, worthwhile to see the city defending itself in court saying, oh, yes, no, no, we think it is worthwhile to uh, you know, make the vote of U.S. citizens less and to offer a vote to illegal immigrants. Let's, you know, let's make them defend this in court and see how this goes. Yeah, and uh, hopefully um, the common sense wins here. Like you said, the thing that Eric Adams was hung up on, and I think everybody should be hung up on that, in, in addition to the fact that only citizens should be voting, is you only have to be there for 30 days, Jim. You could be on an extended vacation uh, and end up being able to vote in a local New York City election. That's just insane. Technically, I imagine all of the staffers for every embassy at the United Nations would be allowed to vote then, right? Why not? They, they live in the city, right? I assume, assuming they live in the city and they don't commute in from the suburbs or something like that. And they technically qualify under this. They're, they are, you know, they, if because you can't say, oh, well, they can't, you know, those representatives from Russia or China or North Korea can't vote in city elections because they're not citizens because you've eliminated the citizenship requirement. So good to know. All these, you know, foreign countries will have, a, have will be able to say, maybe they'll, you know, they'll, they'll vote to keep the policies in place where they no longer, you know, pay parking tickets. They've totally thought this through. It's obvious that they really, really <laughs> thought this through. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And uh, while you were out yesterday, uh, Chad Benson and I talked about what was then the breaking news that uh, Jeff Zucker was out as the uh, head of CNN. His official explanation was that he uh, began an affair with a a subordinate, although a high-ranking executive at CNN, Allison Gollist, who we also worked with over at NBC. Uh, And so because he didn't report that in a timely fashion, as is the CNN policy, well, he had no choice but to resign. Uh, that immediately uh, made a lot of people hold their nose because that doesn't that doesn't pass the smell test for a number of reasons. Uh, but one of the things that Brian Stelter actually brought up yesterday was uh, this was going to come out anyway uh, because Chris Cuomo, since he's been canned at CNN, has not been playing nice. I believe you and I talked about the fact that Cuomo was insistent on getting his 
whatever it was, $15, $18 million left on his contract, which CNN had no intention of paying him. So this was going to get ugly legally. And so therefore, according to Stelter, uh, this was going to come to a head. Cuomo was fired in December, and he is not going out quietly. He was fired, and there were reports that he wasn't going to get paid the millions of dollars that were going to be on the remainder of his contract. So as a source uh, said to me earlier today, he was trying to burn the place down. He was going to court, trying to burn the place down, and claiming that he had incriminating information about Zucker and Gullist. So if that's the case, if this is a domino effect that begins with Andrew Cuomo going down the governor's office, and then Chris Cuomo being fired from CNN, and then Jeff Zucker losing his job at CNN, that is a remarkable domino effect, a chain of events. I think that is part of the story. And of course, uh, the woman that Zucker was involved with used to be the communications director for then Governor Cuomo. So, uh, Jim, I think if you wrote a screenplay like this that you get rejected for being not realistic enough, all the different tentacles here, you devoted a lot of the morning jolt uh, to the uh, soap opera at CNN today. What are your big takeaways? Well, I feel like a whole bunch of seemingly inexplicable decisions on the part of Jeff Zucker over the past couple of years suddenly make more sense in this context. And the funny thing is, this was always staring us in the face um, on Gallus' biography right there on the CNN website, quote, prior to joining CNN, Gallus served as communications director for New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo. Oh, I mean, we always knew, okay, Chris Cuomo's brothers with Andrew Cuomo, his brothers with the governor, they started doing their brother t- chatting with brother shtick during the early days of the pandemic. The network loved it. The network turned into a regular feature of its primetime programming. But we were always like, okay, so why is everybody else at CNN okay with what appears to be a rather glaring conflict of interest? And most, okay, because there's an even bigger conflict of interest going on in that Zucker's special friend was still plugged in with the Andrew Cuomo network, right? I mean, quite literally. Uh, you know, the the his you know the governor's former communications director was in bed with the network president. That's a really good way to make sure that the network and the governor saw their interests as being aligned, right? And so, you know, when you're like, oh, you know, how did how did Chris Cuomo get away with, uh, uh, you know, having this conflict of interest and trying to consult with his brother on the sexual harassment allegations and stuff? Well, Radar Online says that you know is quoting a CNN insider who says, ah, oh, well, Chris had initially escaped punishment. For his role in advising his brother over the scandal because of Gallus' influence on Zucker and her own connections to the Cuomo machine. Ultimately, the Cuomo machine and CNN were, in, you know, symbiotic. They were interchangeable, very blurry lines. It was very hard to tell where the Cuomo machine stopped and where CNN began. And obviously, that's more likely to generate a CNN president getting canned immediately. Because a consensual relationship with subordinate, particularly after both of them are divorced, you know, we may approve it, we may not approve it. Most of the time, human resources are going to say, okay, we need to put you in a position where you're no longer directly, uh, you, you no longer have direct authority over the, your person you're involved with. And lots of companies, you know, people get involved with coworkers all the time and they, you know, generally try to manage it. This sort of, no, you got to go immediately, indicates that there's something else going on. I think what, was, what we can now see is that the relationship with Gallist caused Zucker to be just, you know, ludicrously compromised in his dealings with the Cuomos, both Andrew and Chris. And now you start wondering, okay, when Don Lemon has this ludicrous conflict of interest and that he's called up Jesse Smollett and told him he was under investigation by the cops. uh, You look at uh, Jim Acosta and his prima donna, you know, played the victim card. You look at bringing back Jeffrey Tubin. How many people at CNN knew about the boss's special friend on the side and could use that as leverage in any conflicts with Zucker. I, you know, we don't know this for certain, but all of a sudden this 
very sordid and twisted situation here suddenly makes a lot more sense. I'm going to close on one unexpected note. People have already given me a little bit of grief for this. Greg, listeners to this podcast, you know, you and I will make fun of Brian Stelter all day long and twice on Sundays. He absolutely deserves almost all the grief he's getting. But I'm just going to observe. I've seen a couple of people like over the Daily Mail say, why, why didn't Brian Stelter, the CNN media reporter, report on this, huh? Okay, what's, you know, what, what, is he, what good is he? And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I'm not surprised that Brian Stelter did not go on air with this earth-shaking exclusive. My boss is banging the executive vice president of CNN. I'll have more on this in a little bit. Oh, what's that? I've been fired. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's an awkward story, too. But it seems like it was an open secret. In fact, you know, I, I think one thing that he's going to get called out on, I don't know if this will end up in any uh, legal matters with uh, former spouses and so forth, but uh, it's he claims that it, it only uh, turned into a physical relationship after the start of the pandemic, whereas you've got folks like Katie Couric saying this was going on back when they were both working at, at uh, NBC uh, long, long, long before uh, the pandemic was around. And so uh, I don't know. Why he's trying to to parse that timeline, but uh, that could end up blowing up in his face as well. Chad was suggesting yesterday that uh, uh, Zucker knew that without Trump, his ratings were in the toilet and they probably weren't coming back. So he figured this was the quickest way to get out. But uh, that was before we knew about the Cuomo situation, the Chris Cuomo situation. So a little bit uh, more tangled than we originally thought, I guess. Yeah, just generally, you know, yes, CNN ratings are down. I think it is, you know. But uh, Greg, I hope we don't have a news environment that's similar to 2020, <laughs> with the pandemic coming along and disrupting our lives. Yes, Trump was always good for CNN's ratings. And one of the things I noted in the jolt is that Zucker and Trump always had this symbiotic relationship. Uh, Zucker was in charge of NBC back when Trump was doing The Apprentice, right? And Jeff Zucker, you know, certainly loved giving Trump the, you know, um, gavel to gavel complete coverage of trump in the early days of the republican primary i think because he thought trump would be the easiest opponent for hillary clinton to defeat surprise didn't work out that way um but i think you look at what cnn used to be and you look at what cnn is now where you know jim acosta calls virginia a soviet style police state and stuff like like that used to be keith olbermann and msnbc that used to be you know the the msnbc crazy shtick and cnn you and i might have had you know beefs with it and stuff but by and large wolf blitzer jake tapper although we he certainly generates his own moments of frustration um by and large cnn was good is a fire alarm television right something was blowing up overseas you wanted to tune into cnn they had the the best international coverage things like that it's not that network anymore it's it's become a much more partisan network and it seems to have elevated and spotlighted some of the most ridiculous personalities chris cuomo don lemon um acosta and bringing back jeffrey tubin like you, you gotta look far and wide to find anybody who's like oh that's a great job yeah I, we, we really missed him. Right? So there are all these weird decisions. And hopefully Zucker's departure will give them a chance to hit a reset button and you know, re, re-identify themselves, re-figure out what they want to do as a news network and who they are, because I think Zucker has been terrible for them. But uh, it's not so clear that people inside that building see it the same way. Well, don't let Jeff Zucker spoil a good name, because remember, Jerry and David Zucker gave us Airplane and the Naked Gun. So, uh, you know, go watch those if you need to. They're the good Zuckers. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm going to get you, Zucker. <laughs> anyway, Jim, glad to have you back. Hope you keep feeling better. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again tomorrow. See you then.
So far, so good. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Thank you very much for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Those definitely help us out. Also, uh, you can get us on your home devices. Just say, play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday. And please join us again on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hey guys, we know it's hard to keep up with all the news these days, but don't worry because we're here to talk about it all. Gavin Newsom is called a hypocrite after appearing maskless at an indoor event with celebrities. We may never be mask-free on planes again, and Valentine's Day, the holiday for love and spending money, is right around the corner. Hey, it's the Chicks here from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.